Welcome to the Covenant Life Center podcast. We're so thankful that you chose to listen to this message. To get more connected with us, you can look us up on all social media at CLC Victoria and download our app. Now, here's this week's message. In this series, we're talking about the secret of being unbalanced for God. The secret of being unbalanced for God. I had a conversation with somebody earlier this week. They had contacted me and they called me, somebody from out of town. And they were just updating me, and I was kind of updating them with what's going on in my life, and they were telling me what's going on in their life. And, like, this person told me, they said, Caleb, like, if there's one thing I cannot stand, and they had no idea that we were talking about this series, I think it's awesome how the Holy Spirit works, right? He was like, man, Caleb, if there's one thing I cannot stand, I I can't stand whenever things are unbalanced. Like, I like to keep everything unbalanced. Like, I have a great job. I have a great security in my revenue and my income. I love my family and I have great kids. They're going into college. And I just love my church. And I'm just so thankful for God's hand on my life. But this past week has been a little tough. How many of you know that sometimes we can let the little things get the best of us, right? So he was like, man, Caleb, like this week, dude, like, like uh, my phone broke. My kid broke my phone. And then after he broke my phone, I got a new phone. And then then the next day after I got my new phone, I put my headphone jack in, and then the headphone jack broke off and my phone broke again. So I had to go get another phone, and then I went to the the store, and I was talking to the person at the store, and I told him, hey, don't I have warranty on this? I just came in here and purchased yesterday. He said, sir, that is your fault. Like, that's your fault that your phone broke. We're not going to do anything. He said, let me talk to the manager right now, right? You ever done that? It's like, let me talk to the higher up right now, you know? So, and then with traffic and then things were going a little tough at work and he just felt like things were unbalanced. He just felt like things were unsettled. And the truth is we have to ask ourselves this question, how do we incorporate God in our day-to-day life, right? The question is, you know, I got this going on, I got my family, I got my friends, I got my career, you know, I got my church. I have so many different things. I feel, you ever feel like you're juggling things, right? It's like you're, you're jack of all trades. You're trying to do everything right, but you're, then you're trying to keep God first, and it's tough, right? So we like to think of something in our minds like, okay, like I'm going to give God my Sundays. I'm going to give God my Wednesdays. I'm going to give God 20% of my life, and then it'll kind of balance itself out. But one thing I've learned in life is that we do not build God around our lives, but we actually build our lives around God. See, Jesus is not a supplement. Jesus is our supply. Jesus is not an accessory. Jesus is everything that we need in life. In order for us to push through, in order for us to push forward, there's no such thing as being balanced in God. It has to be 100% God, 100% his will, 100% his word, 100% his purpose, his kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God, and everything else shall be added unto you. Do we have any people in here that love Jesus? Come on. So can we just stand together as we get into scripture this morning? I'm super pumped up, as you can tell. We're going to be going into Genesis chapter 29 verse 16 through 30. I'll wait a couple seconds for you guys to get there. 
Genesis chapter 29, verse 16 through 30. If you got a Bible, awesome. If you got a phone Bible, tablet Bible, or maybe you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you a Bible at the end of service. If you can go to the Connection Center, we'd love to bless you with a free Bible. Um, if you don't have a Bible, you can check it up on the screen. Once you're there, say, I'm there. If you're not there, say, hold up. I heard a couple hold-ups, I think. I don't know what that was. We'll, we'll wait a second, okay? Cool. All right, we're going to go ahead and get started. You've had enough time. Let's do it. <laughs> All right. So it says this. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. So pretty much this was a nice way of saying that Leah wasn't as attractive as Rachel. <laughs> so somebody say amen. Okay. <laughs> uh, Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban then said, it's better that I give her to you than to some other man. Stay here with me. So Jacob ser served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. Give me my wife. My time is complete, and I want to make love to her. The Bible goes from zero to 100 real, real quick, right? I want to make love to her. Then Jacob said to Laban, you thought you'd never hear those words in church, right? Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. My, my time is complete, and I want to make love to her. We'll say it again. So Laban brought together all the people of the place and gave a feast. But when evening came, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and Jacob made love to her. We already get it. You said it once already. And Laban gave his servant Zilpah to his daughter as her attendant. When morning came, there was Leah. So Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? I served for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Laban replied, it is not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. Finish this daughter's bridal week, then we will give you the younger one also in return for another seven years of work. And Jacob did so. He finished the week with Leah, and then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as her attendant. Jacob made love to Rachel also. Goodness gracious. And his love, was and his love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah. And he worked for Laban another seven years. He worked for Laban another seven years. You can go ahead and be seated. Thank you for standing in respect of God's word. Uh, this is a pretty extreme story. Maybe you don't understand the context or the backstory or the history of what's happening in the scripture. But in this particular passage of scripture, we find this guy. And his name is Jacob. So Jacob's, you know, God later renames him to Israel. Uh, Jacob is referred to as a couple of different things in the Bible. He, he's one of the patriarchs. He's one of the forefathers in the Bible. He's a descendant of Abraham. He's a descendant of Isaac. He's actually Isaac's son, Jacob. You know, he, he's known as the supplanter. He, he's known as the heel grabber because as he was getting birth, as his mother was giving birth to him, he actually grabbed his brother's heel as he was coming out of the womb. He was second to come out. He was always right behind his brother, always trying to be ahead of his brother. He's also known as the deceiver, right? Because he deceived Esau and he deceived Isaac. See, 
Esau was going to receive the inheritance that his father had built up, but Jacob didn't like that too much. So what he ended up doing, he ended up faking and pretending to be his brother Esau, and he received his father Isaac's blessing, which therefore meant that he stole his brother Esau's inheritance. He stole his brother Esau's inheritance. So, like, wouldn't you be upset if that was you, right? You know, like, he, he stole his brother's inheritance. Like, everything that his father had built up, he was going to receive it. So, obviously, Esau was upset, right? You following me this morning, church? So, Esau was upset, obviously, right? He ended up chasing after Jacob, trying to kill Jacob. So, Jacob's on the run. Jacob's on the run. And he, he ends up staying with this guy named Laban. And Laban has these two daughters. He has these two daughters. One name is Rachel, and one's name is Leah. He ends up meeting Rachel at a well one day, and it's love at first sight. It was love at first sight. He saw Rachel, and he said, wow. You know? Like, wow. There's a reason that there's a woe before woman. Like, wow. You know what I mean? That was a horrible joke, okay? Forget it. Woe men. Woo! right? So, like, he was like, wow, like, she's gorgeous. I want her to be my wife, you know? So, he ends up coming to an agreement with Laban, the father, and he says, I'll work for her, you know, seven years. You know, he just said, I'll work for her for seven years, and then, you know, I'll work for you seven years in order for me to receive her. And probably, um, you know, Laban's, on the, um, Laban's daughter, uh, Leah's on the side, He's like, what about her? He probably, I don't care about her. I want Rachel, right? So he ends up working for Laban for seven years, right? They had an agreement. It was supposed to be set in stone. And then after the seven years, he approaches Laban and says, hey, man, like, I worked the seven years already. Like, now it's time for me to marry your daughter, Rachel. So he, he ends up going through with the wedding ceremony, only to find out the next morning that he married the wrong girl. He married the wrong girl. Like, my question is, like, how in the world, like, how in the world did he not know that he married the wrong girl, right? It's like, wake up this morning, what the heck? Who are you, right? Well, there's a couple theories on this. You know, one theory is, you know, it was so dark uh, in the evening time whenever they had the wedding, and plus her attire is a customary for, you know, ladies to be clothed from head to toe with the veil and everything like that. So we can guess that she was probably dressed from head to toe, plus it was dark, and he didn't recognize her until the next morning. Possibly, you know, Jacob was drunk, because after seven years of working his butt off, he probably just said, like, oh, forget it, I'm going to enjoy this night, right? And he didn't have the right conscience to enjoy her, you know, just to realize that, you know, that was Leah, not Rachel. Um, another idea is, you know, it's way different back it was way different back then than it is, than it is now, because nowadays we date before marriage, we get to know a person before marriage, but back then, they were, they were arranged marriages, right? So, like, most likely, he didn't have a conversation with either Rachel or Leah too much. He didn't really get to know them. He probably just saw them. So, I think it would be safe to say that they, since they were sisters, they probably looked a little bit alike, but Rachel was probably much prettier than Leah. Like, that's what Jacob's perspective was. So, they probably had a similar build as well. So, at the end of the day, he married the wrong person, right? He, he married the wrong person. And he actually approaches Laban, and he says, like, yo, dog, like, what the heck? Like, I don't know if you have any beef with your parents-in-law, but you, I think it's safe to say that Jacob had some beef 
with his father-in-law Laban, right? So he said, like, I thought we came to an agreement. I thought you said that after these seven years, I could marry your daughter Rachel. I thought we had an agreement, man. What the heck? So what had happened was Laban's response to him is like, hey, like, you know, it's customary for you to marry the older daughter before you marry the younger daughter. That's just the way that we do things. That's tradition. I bet you Jacob was like, I wish you told me that from the beginning, man. What the heck? So I guess, you know, Leah was a lost hope, and he was like, I'm just going to try to get her married. I don't, I don't know. You ever been, like, have a kid, and he's getting older? You're like, man, we got to get him with somebody. Nobody in this place, and you're, like, doing whatever it takes, right? So he manipulated Jacob, right? And what happened was, you know, he said, if you want to get Rachel, then you must work seven more years. You got to work seven more years. Like, that's a long time to us, right? Like, can you imagine, like, Jacob... Jacob worked a total of 14 years for one girl. Like Jacob, the, the, the deceiver, Jacob, the one who deceived his brother Esau, the deceiver was deceived. The deceiver was deceived. He was deceived by Laban. Uh, yet he proceeded to work 14 years for one, one person, right? My, my question is like, why in the world would Jacob work 14 years for one individual? Why would he work? Like, that's a long time, right? In, in terms of today, for, 14 years of your life. Can you imagine 14 years of your life grinding, working out in the field, you know, sweat on your brow, blood, sweat, and tears, just hard night, like, for just one person. 14 years. But it says that he loved her so much that it seemed like things were only, like, a couple of days. So he ends up working for Laban for 14 years. See, why did he do that? Love. Love. See, he was so unbalanced for his love for Rachel that he was willing to do whatever it took in order for him to get what he wanted. He was so unbalanced in his love that he was willing to do whatever it took. He was willing to do whatever it took, and he was not going to stop short, or he wasn't going to settle for less than what he was promised. Jacob was driven by love. My sermon title this morning is Love Driven, part three of this unbalanced series. Turn to the person next to you and say, love driven. Love driven. Let's pray, and then we'll get into the word of God. And yeah, we'll try to get out of here as soon as we can. Let's do it. God, I thank you, Lord, for this morning. I thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit, Jesus. I pray that your presence, Lord, would just overtake me, Father God, and overtake this service, God, that these ordinary words would become supernatural, God, that it would become extraordinary, God, that this isn't for nothing, God. Us coming together on Sunday mornings, Lord, waking up early, getting the family ready, this isn't for nothing, Lord. This is for a purpose. This is for your purpose, God, to bring the church body together. So I pray that this morning, Lord, that you would just anoint me, God, as a speaker. I pray that our hearts would be open to receive the word that you have for us today, God, we love you, Jesus. We give you all the glory. We give you all the honor. We give you all the praise because you deserve it, God. And we love you. I feel your presence, Jesus. I thank you right now, God. Have your way today. And the church said, and the church said, if you love Jesus, can you give him a shout of praise right now? Come on. Cool. Do you remember your first love? Do you remember, like, your first relationship? 
like, I don't know about you. I don't know how old, how old you were, but I'll tell you a little bit about my first girlfriend, right? First of all, my parents told me, Caleb, like, before you ever date a girl, make sure that you get our approval first, right? I think that's smart. Like, to all the students in here, do not try to be sneaky. Like, your parents are going to find out everything. I'm going to tell you that right now, right? So I was, like, in middle school, and um, I saw this girl, right? I thought she was gorgeous. You know, I said, wow, she's, she's wonderful. And uh, she ended up winning, like, the prettiest girl uh, in the seventh grade award. I don't know what kind of award that was, but she won it. Like, right? What a great award. Makes everybody feel so good about themselves, right? <laughs> she ended up winning that award, and I saw her, and immediately I was just attracted to her, right? And I was like, man, like, golly, it would be great if she was my girlfriend, right? But, like, you ever have a friend that you talk to, and you say, dude, I like this girl, or whatever, and they say, really? That's cool, man. You know, how are things going? Like, have you made an effort to do anything, you know? or whatever like that, and they act like they're really interested in trying to help you further the relationship. But then like a week later, come to find out that they end up dating. It's like, bro, I thought you had my back. And now you're dating the girl that I had a crush on? What the heck, man? Seventh grade, I was broken up, tore apart, spit out, devastated. Thought, who's going to like me now? Who am I going to find now, God? And I could have moved on from that relationship. I could have been like, yo, like, there's, you know, I'm only in seventh grade. You know, I don't need to be dating. I could ask my parents before. You know, I, I could do that. But I didn't. I was jealous, to say the least. I ended up communicating and being the consultant for that girl. We ended up texting. And don't hate me for this, okay, church? We've all done stupid things. I was immature, dumb, full of hormones, Okay. So, like, I could have just pushed it aside and just ignored it, but, like, I said no. Like, I'm going to get, still try to get this girl, right? And my friend, like, I was his consultant for that situation. Whenever he had problems, whenever there was issues, whatever, he came to me. Whenever the girl had issues, she came to me. They had no idea. It was a beautiful love triangle, right? <laughs> beautiful. It's like, two is great, but three, it's amazing, right? So, like... One day, like, things weren't going too good with the relationship. Like, I ended up getting a text on Valentine's Day. Okay, I want you to get this. I ended up getting, oh, mischievous hands, right? I ended up getting, like, a text on Valentine's Day. And they're like, Caleb, like, things are not going too good with this relationship. Like, uh, I don't even know why I'm dating this person. What should I do? That's my friend asked me. Did I say that he was not just a friend, but he was actually my best friend? This is bad. This is so bad. I, I got to quit the ministry after this. <laughs> so, like, he was my best friend. He said, dude, things are not going too good. Like, what should I do? I said, bro, there's only one thing you can do to make this right. Break up with her. <laughs> you got to break up with her. You got to end it. It's not going to last. I'm sorry to tell you that. When should I do it? Today. <laughs> no, better yet, before tonight, before the sun comes up, you got to break up with this girl. So... It was Valentine's Day, and he ends up breaking up with this girl. Guess who was the rebound? This guy. I get a message on Facebook. Caleb, you know, your friend, whatever, she said, Charlie, that's what, that was his name. Charlie, if you ever watch this, I'm sorry, bro. You know, I already, you know, repented and came up to you and said, bro, I am so sorry. I was a completely different person back then, right? So, like, he, he had said, 
You know, she had said, we broke up. I said, oh, no, really? <laughs> really? I don't know how I did it. I was spitting major game that night or something like that because I ended up becoming her boyfriend on Valentine's Day, the same day that she broke up with my best friend on Valentine's Day, right? Don't, don't give that a hand clap. Okay, that's horrible. That deserves a boo, okay? True bro right there. He was like, yeah, yeah. Great job, Kayla. It's not good, okay? So pretty much, you know, we ended up, can you imagine the awkwardness in the hallways with my best friend? Can you just imagine? It was so bad. It was so bad. If, if you're mad at me for that story, you can just email me at calebslavic at clcvictoria.org. And we'll continue our conversation there. I'll be happy to discuss it with you, okay? Um, but isn't it funny, like, what we'll do for love? Like, like, we'll go to extreme lengths, and we'll even sacrifice other things in order for us to get what we want, right? We'll even, like, sacrifice other relationships in order for us to get what we want. See, Jacob was so in love, and he was so unbalanced for Rachel that he was willing to do whatever it took to get her, even if that meant sacrificing 14 years of his life. And there's so many different things and principles that we can pull from this scripture and this passage right here. But let's start off with this. For Jacob, he knew that love wasn't a feeling of happiness. Love was a willing to sacrifice. I'm going to say that again. If you're taking notes, please take notes. I encourage you as well so you don't forget it. Love is not a feeling of happiness. Love is a willing to sacrifice. See, Jacob knew that in order for him to get what he wanted, he had to give up some of what he had. If he wanted to get that, he had to give up some of this. 14 years of his life. Uh, hear me out this morning. If you're not willing to sacrifice for what you want, then what you want will be the sacrifice. I'm going to say that again. If you're not willing to sacrifice for what you want, then what you want will be the sacrifice. See, we live in a world, we live in a day and an age where we like to receive things. Who loves free things, right? Everybody loves free things. We like to be given things in our life without even paying the price at all. You know, we, we, we want the gains, we want the muscle, but we don't want to go through the pain. We want the gain, but we don't want to go through the pain. We, we love the promises, right? I can just say the word promise and we get excited, right? But we hate the process. We don't like going through the process. When the reality is, sacrifices come before successes. Say that again. Sacrifices come before successes. And this is the principle that Jacob grabbed a hold of. It's not enough for him just to say, hey, I love you, Rachel. There had to be some action behind it as well. I know all of us would much rather have things handed to us on a silver platter, but how are you going to be truly appreciative for something that you didn't sacrifice for? Like, we would much rather have things handed to us, right? It's much easier. And I believe in the blessing of God. I believe that God can expedite things. I believe in the, the grace of God, the unmerited favor of God. But I believe that sometimes God wants us and he allows us to push, to work. It says in scripture that work, faith without works is dead. So sometimes 
It's better for us to sacrifice and make an effort and put the time and energy for something so at the end of the day, we'll be much more appreciative, we'll have more gratitude, we'll be more thankful, and we'll be a better steward of what we have. Sometimes, you just got to work for it. I don't know about you, but I feel like there's some people in this place where they say, hey, things just have not been easy for me. This business has not been easy for me. Raising these kids have not been easy for me. We, didn't, we were not called to live a life of convenience. We were called to live a life full of God's calling, to step into his will, to make a sacrifice. So at the end of the day, you'll be more appreciative and you'll be a better person at the end of the day. Anybody thankful for that? We serve a great God. You know one thing I admire about Jacob? Even whenever things were unfair, even whenever things were unbalanced, he didn't let that get in the way of his unbalanced love for Rachel. Like, it was, he, he was done wrong. It, it was not good. But he did not let that get in the way of his unbalanced love for Rachel. And we live in an unbalanced world. We live in a broken and we live in a hurting. We live in an unpredictable world. Can't even go on social media. Can't even turn on the news like once a week without you seeing a horrific event, a catastrophe that even raises your anxiety. Like more than ever right now, I think it's safe to say that we need saving. Our country needs Jesus. This world needs Jesus. So the question is, how do I live through an unbalanced world? How, how do I go through an unbalanced world? How do I make a difference to go through an unbalanced world? Well, you got to have an unbalanced love for God. So in order for you to go through an unbalanced world, you got to have an unbalanced love for God. So the question is, how do we develop and how do we have an unbalanced love for God? How, how do we do that? How, I want to be unbalanced in my love for God. I want to be driven by love. How do I get there? My, my first point this morning is we have to know that God first loved us. God first loved us. Um, this last summer, we took our students to this summer camp, and we had a great time, and I was, you know, doing the routine of checking up on the students uh, every night, checking and seeing how things were going, see if they needed anything, see how their day went, see what their low points were and their, their high, point, high points were, and just to talk to them. And this was the last night of the summer camp, right? We're all going to leave. And I asked him, like, because he seemed like he was a little down. I had a student of mine that seemed like he was a little down. And I said, what's up, man? He said, Caleb, I don't want to leave. I found this girl. <laughs> like, we've, we hit it off since day one. It's like, she's perfect. She's gorgeous. We have so much chemistry in this relationship. I'm like, dude, it's only been like two or three days. What in the world, right? <laughs> Like, just because there's attraction does not mean that there should be attachment. Oh, hello. Well, that's another sermon. So I said, I made a joke. I said, bro, like, you should love Jesus. And you should be following after Jesus and seeking after Jesus as much as you've been seeking after this girl. Right? I was just making a joke. And he said, Caleb, you don't understand. You don't understand. Like, this girl makes me feel some type of way, right? He was like, like, God can't even make me feel the way that this girl makes me feel. 
ooh, right? I heard that too. I kind of chuckled a little bit. I was like, what? I was like, okay. Like, one thing I don't want us to ever do as a believer and as Christians is confuse lust for love. I don't want us to confuse lust ever for love. See, like, this point right here, I don't know about you, whenever I see that point, God first love, that just impacts me so much. And for some other people in this building, this point may not impact you as much. Because maybe you've never had an experience with God, with this Holy Spirit. You've never had a revelation of who God is and his mercy and his goodness and his favor and his grace. But for those in here that know who Jesus Christ is, for those in here that have been blessed whenever you felt like you're going to be cursed for the rest of your life, when you felt like you could never be forgiven, but God forgave you, when you felt low, when you felt worn out, when you felt like giving up, but you felt the spirit of the living God lift you up and lift up your spirit and continue to help you push forward. I'm talking to those people this morning. God first loved us. See, the love that we have for God is way different. The love that God has for us, actually, the love that God has for us is way different than the love that we have for other people and the love that we even have for God. See, God gives, and he is the highest form of love, which is called agape love. This is the purest and most authentic form of love. And I don't know about you, but I'm thankful that Jesus didn't just say that he loved us. He showed us that he loved us. He didn't just say he loved us. He showed us that he loved us. Jesus paid the ultimate sacrifice for our salvation. He was the ultimate sacrifice. Like, Jacob compared to Jesus in terms of sacrifice, like, Jacob had nothing on Jesus. He had nothing on Jesus. You want to know what the greatest sacrifices you're ever going to make in your life are? The greatest sacrifice is whenever you sacrifice your own desires for the sake of someone else's. Not for yourself, not all about you, but you do it because you love somebody else, because you love God. Because that's what Jesus did. He knew what we needed. He knew what we needed, and he died on the cross for us. Think about this. Jesus knew that there were going to be some people that weren't ever going to follow after him. But yet he died on the cross anyways. People that were going to mistreat him, abuse him, speak negatively about him, not believe in who he was, but he still died for them. Like, why would, like, why would you do that? Like, what would drive you to the cross, knowing that there are going to be people that were not going to believe in who you are? Why would he do that? Because of love. Because he knew that even if there was a 1% chance of somebody following after him, he was willing to sacrifice and die on the cross anyways just to give that person a choice, just to give that person an option in their life. Because Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. good. Jesus came to make dead people alive. Come on. Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. Jesus came to make dead people alive. Come on. So we don't achieve the love of God. We receive the love of God. And God's love for us is not dictated by our performance. I'm going to say that again because somebody needs to hear that in this place this morning. God's love for you is not dictated on how good you are. It's dictated on how good he is. 
God loves you. If you grab a hold of one thing this Sunday morning, I want you to know that Jesus loves you, that Jesus died on the cross for you, and Jesus loves you so much, and he loves you just the way you are, but he loves you way too much to keep you the way that you are. Come on. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says this, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For while we were still sinners, while we were jacked up, while we were broken, while we had sin in our life, Jesus said, you know, I know that the world and other people may see them as trash, as see them as a lost hope, but I see something inside of them. I see greatness on the inside. I love them, and I want them to find me. I'm willing to die on the cross for them. I'm willing to go through the pain. I'm willing to take the bruises. I'm willing to take the stripes on my back. I'm willing to hang up there on the cross and, you know, give my last breath saying, it is finished. I'm willing to give everything up for them because I want them to receive everything for me. See, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. It's not whoever you think deserves it. It's not who, whoever you think, you know, whoever you like, whoever, you know, the good people are. Whosoever, every single person, black and white, poor or rich, doesn't matter. Jesus died for every single, young and old. He died for every single person because he loves us. Somebody needs to give God praise. Come on. See, Jesus loved you before you even thought of by anyone else. And this stirs me up in my spirit. Jesus loves you before you were even thought of by anyone else. Before we ever loved him, he loved us. Like, the reason that we are called to love is because God first loved us. And the selfless love that we have for God should enable us to endure all things that we go through in our lives. See, one thing I love about love is love makes all things bearable. Love makes the unbearable things bearable in life. Whenever you have love, you can just go further, you can stay longer, and you can keep on pushing forward whenever you have love in your life. Just like it did for Jesus and just like it did for Jacob. It says in Scripture, because of the joy that was set before him, Jesus Christ endured the cross. What, what joy was he talking about? The thought of his love for us. The thought of us spending eternity with him. See, love was driving Jesus to the cross. And please grab a hold of what I'm about to say. Whenever you feel like giving up, when you feel like throwing in the towel, when it would be much easier just to walk away from everything else, Remember why you started to begin with. Remember why you first started to begin with. That's what Jesus did. Jesus willingly went to the cross. He said, Father, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus was literally in so much anxiety, and he had so much pressure on him, it says that he was sweating drops of blood. And he could have said, hey, you know what? This is too much pain. This is too much sorrow. They don't even deserve it. They're actually on the way to kill me. Like, one of my disciples betrayed me. Jesus was the perfect leader, but he still had people betray him and deceive him. Because the truth is, we live in a world where bad things can happen to good people, and good things can happen to bad people. It rains on the just 
and it rains on the unjust. But Jesus had something on the inside of them, and Jacob had something on the inside of them that went back to their first love and remembered why they started to begin with. Just like Jacob, he could have given up. He said, okay, seven years is way too long, but he went back to his first love. And that's what we need to do today. Whenever you feel like giving up, know that God first loved you. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11 says, for, for I know the plans I have for you, declare the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans for a hope and a future. I love you. He who knew no sin became sin, so that way we can become the righteousness of God. Come on, somebody needs to give God praise this morning. When you feel like giving up, remember why you first started. That's what Jacob and Jesus did. My second point this morning is don't settle for less than God's best. Don't settle for less than God's best. Like, how many times do we settle for less than what God intended for us? How many times do we stop short of God's promises in our life? Because we can all get to a place where we lowered our standards and we lower our expectations because we don't have the patience we don't have the perseverance, and we don't have the perspective to see that there is something more and something better that God has in store for us. One thing I love about Jacob is Jacob wasn't satisfied with getting less than what he was promised. See, and things did not go according to his plan. He thought he was working for seven years. Like, what do you do whenever things don't go according to plan? What do you do whenever you don't get what you were promised or you feel like it's taking forever? Like, what do you do whenever things take a turn for, a wor for the worse? What do you do if you lose that job? What do you do if that relationship that you thought was headed towards marriage ended? Like, what do you do if you get diagnosed with a life-threatening disease? Like, what do you do if your parents get a divorce? What do you do? There's two options. We can either say there's no hope and we can give up, which I do not like that option, and I don't think anybody should ever choose that option, ever. And if you're in this place and you feel like giving up and you feel like in and all, you need to find people that are going to be around you, that are going to support you, that are going to love you, to lift you up. You need to surround yourself with the right people and watch what you allow and who you allow to speak in your life because you were created for a purpose. You were created for God's purpose. You are so loved. If you could only imagine how much God loves you and what he has ahead of you, he loves you. But we can either say there's no hope and we give up or I love this option. We can have faith. We can have faith. We can build our house on the rock, on Jesus Christ. We can have faith and push through for something better. Romans chapter 8, verse 28 says, God works all things together for good for those that love him and are called according to his purpose. Like God can take all the jacked up things that you've done in your life, whether it was your fault or if it wasn't your fault, and he can make it work for good. He can make it work for his glory. See, in your test, there's a testimony. In your mess, there's a message. Your story is for God's glory. Everything that you go through in life God has a beautiful way of turning things around. Amen? See, the one thing the enemy wants us to do, he wants us to compromise for counterfeits. I'm going to say it again because somebody said that was good. All right? <laughs> the enemy wants us to compromise for counterfeits. Like, Jacob didn't compromise for a counterfeit. He didn't settle for less. Like, 
The devil wants you to compromise your sexual, I'm going to be real with you guys. The devil wants you to compromise, Satan wants you to compromise your sexual purity rather than you save yourself for marriage. He would much rather you stay at that minimum wage job and barely get by than to start that business that he has called you to start in order for you to further the kingdom of God. He'd much rather you come to church every once in a while when you feel like you need it or you feel like you want to go. He would much rather you do that than get involved, than get your family together and say, hey, this morning we're going to the house of God where you see change in your family's life and you see change in the people around your life. Like, don't settle for a Leah when God wants to give you a Rachel. I'm going to say that again. Come on. Don't settle for a Leah when God said, hey, I, I want to give you a Rachel. You've been settling for less for far too long. It's time for you to stop hanging out in the shallow end. It's time to jump into the deep end and receive everything that I have for you. I can take you places you can never even imagine. I can open up doors that nobody else could even open. I can close doors that nobody else could close. Come on, somebody. I am God. Create the heavens and the earth. God loves you. He has a plan for your life. So what do we do whenever things don't go according to plan? One thing I've learned in life is that life is not about what happens to you. It's about how you respond to what happens to you. Say that again. Life is not about what happens to you as much as it is how you respond to what happens to you. And many of us want to go where God's called us to go, but we're not willing to go through what God's called us to go through. But I'm here to tell you this morning, in order to get to, you first got to go through. And in, or, in order for you to go to, you got to go through. And you got to have something inside of your spirit where you have, you have such an unbalance for your love for God, where you say, like, I don't care how long it takes. Like, I don't care how hard it may be. I'm not going to settle for less than what God has intended for me. I will not settle for less than God's best. Don't compromise for counterfeits. Don't settle and don't count yourself left out and feel like you can't go where God's called you to go. You felt like he took away that promise. God is not a man that he shall lie. If God calls you to something, he's going to provide you with every resource necessary in order for you to succeed and go where God's called you to go. We serve an unlimited God. An omniscient God. He's everywhere all the time. He has all power. He's, he has all the authority. He's everywhere. He knows all things. He sees all things. Don't you have enough faith in God? Like, do you know who you serve? We serve a living God. Don't settle for less. James chapter 1, verse 12 says this, and I'm closing. Blessed, and this is James chapter 1, verse 12. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. Because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. I'm going to say that again because that's a powerful scripture right there. This is to all those in here that feel like giving up. This is to all those in here that feel like it's, it's not easy, which it may not be easy. It may be tough. I understand we all come from different places and sometimes things are out of our control. But read the scripture. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because... Having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. I love that last part. For those who love him. 
for those who love him. And he said to yourself, how am I going to get, I gonna get through it? Things didn't go according to plan. Like, I, I had this plan mapped out in my mind, but like, I feel like things aren't going according to plan. Love the Lord and know that he first loved you. Don't compromise your calling. And some of you are going through attacks and you're going through conflict. The, the greater the attack, the greater the anointing. The greater the conflict, the greater the calling. I'm going to say that again for those that didn't get that. The greater the attack, the greater the anointing. The greater the conflict, the greater the calling on your life. Because the devil has been trying to take you out since day one. He hates you. He despises you. He wants to still kill and destroy your life. But thank God that we serve somebody that got the keys of Hades, that defeated death, hell, and the grave. And we don't fight for victory, but we fight from what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us 2,000 years ago. And now we can be encouraged. Now we can overcome. Now we are more than conquerors. We are overcomers through Christ Jesus. You are not a loser. You are not a victim. You are a victor in Jesus' name. My closing statement, life is not always fair but God is still faithful. Say that again. Life is not always fair, but God is still faithful. Always be driven by your love for God and his people. Your, your motivation matters to God. Why are you going to that job? Why are you raising those kids? Why are you going to church? Are you doing it to bring glory to yourself? Or are you doing it to bring glory unto God? Are you doing it for his people? Are you doing it for his kingdom? Because guess what? The earth will pass away, but God's kingdom will be forever. I don't want to build a sand castle on this planet where the waves can come and the winds can come and blow it away, everything that I've built up. I want to build my life on the rock, on Jesus Christ. Our mission here at Covenant Life Center is to help our world live give in a love like Jesus. If our ministry has impacted you in any way, we would love for you to email us at info at clcvictoria.org. You can get connected with us through our social media at clcvictoria and download our app.